All right, so we're back. Um, I haven't taken the time to look at when I posted my last episode, but needless to say, it's been a little while. Uh, a full country week. Probably like 10 days. Um, <clears throat> feels like forever. So the last episode was a field recording where I went out into the yard and just sat down and kind of checked in with everyone. And with this episode, I'm going to return to the kind of full fleshed out episode style that I had started with. So welcome, episode four. Um, <clears throat> in this episode, I'm going to address why, why. Why would I want to do this? What am I hoping to achieve in doing it? And maybe shine some light on what my life was like before, where I was before, leading up to being the guy in the woods, solo, with goats and chickens and shit. Um, I'm just going to apologize now, uh, if there's slightly more noise on my vocals, it's because I've got the AC unit running next to me, um, it's gotten super hot and humid, so you're going to have to deal with it. sitting here. Um, I'm enjoying a wonderful beer. I don't even know what it is, but it's good. Um, the sun has gone down. I put the chickens away in their new coop. So I don't even think the coop was started. Um, or maybe it was. I don't remember. Either way, um, I think I'd mentioned that this dude Gavin was coming out. Well, I know he's a, he's an avid listener now. So what up, Gavin? Uh, you just left a couple hours ago, put in this door. Uh, and here I am telling people about the wonderful coop that you built. Um, it's made my life a million times easier. It's safer for the chickens. It was pretty precarious there. So I had been housing the chickens in this like box um made by um i guess it was made by monty it was it was handed down to me i don't know if it was made by monty but handed down to me from monty who's kind of like uh a guy that i met through my neighbor kevin who is really cool he's a local and had been helping coordinate all sorts of jobs on the property here and he had given Kevin this coop, this like kind of portable box for chickens. And Kevin ended up giving it to me. Kevin had chickens and they kept dying. Couldn't We couldn't get him to stay alive because Kevin was commuting and still is 
uh, he's coming up here only periodically, so it was very hard to keep chickens alive. You'd desert them and leave them to their own wits, and you'd end up having no chickens when you came back. Um, so anyway, I had been keeping them in this box, <coughs> and it was falling apart as is. Like, even before I used it, it was just weathered and rotten wood corners and just just falling apart. I had mended it up a little bit, and I had the attack where um, a possum dug in and killed four of my birds, and it was tragic, and I cried all day and screamed into the heavens and shit and buried my chickens, and I had mentioned that before, I think. Um, but since then, I had been barricading this uh, box. I had been covering up the weaknesses in the box and it was just a chore every night you know the chickens instinctively go back to their home their safe place as the sun goes down uh which also happens to be the time when the mosquitoes and whatever bugs come out so it just became a real chore to like zip tie this thing shut and stack all these pieces of uh like broken pavers around it to just like barricade it I mean, it worked. I didn't lose any birds afterwards, but you'd be getting bit up. It was just a nightmare. So Gavin built this new coop, um, and it just rocks. It's solid. It's dug into the ground. It's got all new uh, what's called hardware cloth mesh. It's got a door that I can walk into. Um, I've got perimeter lights, LED lights around it. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the door latches shut, so all I do is just latch it, boom, boom, and it's closed and secured, and it's beautiful. Um, no more putting a tarp on it, you know, it keeps the food dry, it's just a million times better. So the chicken situation is all good. And on the chicken front, while we're at it, I placed an order with McMurray Hatchery, for 30 guinea fowl, uh, which is the minimum order. So guinea fowl are like, I don't know, they're kind of like, I guess they're from Guinea. Um, and they're kind of like peacocks. Um, I got pearl guineas, which is the most common variety. Uh, let's see. Uh, on the internet, people say they're very loud and they're a nuisance. Uh, they can be aggressive. Um, but everyone attests to the fact that they just devour, they live to just devour ticks. And not going to lie, ticks are a fucking nuisance here. It's an issue. Um, so yeah, I have 30 of those suckers coming. <laughs> 30 more birds that I'm adding. Uh, they're coming. So, uh, you want to learn something new today? Uh, guinea fowl, they're not chicks when they're babies. They're keats. So I've got 30 keats coming my way. You want to learn something else? Uh, in the world of hatcheries and aviary, avian uh, uh, newborns, um, it's cheapest when you're buying them in bulk, I guess, <laughs> buying them in bulk, uh, to get them unsexed, and that's called a straight run. Straight run means you don't know how many are male, how many are female, um, and so it's what? It's something like, I don't know, 
a buck fifty a bird, two bucks. I'm not really sure. Uh, so I got thirty of those suckers coming my way. We're gonna set them out on the uh, on the tick situation and hopefully uh, start waging war. Um, and then I got sixteen more chickens, a mixed variety of meat breeds um, that I plan on raising for meat. Um, they're bred to convert feed to mass, um, efficiently and to do it quickly. So within two to three months of them arriving, they will be, uh, to the weight where they're ready to be slaughtered and then butchered. And that's my plan. I'm going to get into that kind of world. Um, See how it goes. See if I can keep 15 alive. See if I could slaughter them. See if they'll taste good after I slaughter them. You know, it's a whole thing. So if you're in touch with me, you know me personally. I mean, I've only got 16. They throw in a mystery bird, which is kind of cool. I plan on keeping a few myself and giving a few to my family, my parents. Um, But if you want one, hit me up. They'll be ready, I guess, in August. So that's kind of cool. Um, you know, I've slaughtered birds before. I've uh, I've been on a bunch of pheasant hunts. I've taken, harvested, whatever you want to say, hunted uh, two turkeys out here on this property. Uh, so I've slaughtered birds before. I've butchered, I guess only the turkeys I butchered, the breasts, cut the breasts out of them. This will be a little different. So yeah, it'll be an experience, and I'm going to freeze them and, you know, keep them and use them as needed. Kind of cool. So yeah, so there's that. That's the birds. Um, The goats, Larry and Moe, are growing up. They've got their comfortable barn. Uh, They're a freaking handful. They, if you follow me on Instagram, you see the funny videos I post from time to time. Um... Just yesterday, they got, I was like working under the hood of my truck, and they kept jumping into the engine bay and like falling into the engine bay and like getting stuck, which was of course a nightmare as I didn't want them to like kick any belts or, you know, hoses or whatever's, you know, down there. But they just love a challenge. If it's like a new thing that they can hop onto or into or fuck with, they're all about it. So yesterday... Uh, yesterday morning, <clears throat> I guess it was Moses, uh, hopped onto the hood, which is pretty high up, you know, it's a lifted truck, so it's pretty high up, um, and then from there hopped onto the roof of the cabin, of the, the truck, rather, and was, like, up there, like, alright, I'm up here now, like, what am I gonna do, and he... I encouraged him to come down and immediately just, he slipped and just ate it. I mean, they're just masters of wiping out. And it's funny because once they wipe out, they'll like stay on the ground, like recognizing that they got owned and like take a little breather for a second and then get up and just get back into it. So anyway, the goats are a freaking handful. They're a lot of fun. They're super cute. Uh, eating lots of hay. I've got like a pitchfork or a hay fork, I guess it is. I'm like fully doing the hay thing now. Uh, I feed them sunflower seeds, beet pulp, 
uh, grain. It's a lot of fun. It's pretty cool. They're fully off of milk. Oh, uh, big news today. I think it was Mo uh, had his balls fall off finally. So I noticed this morning one of them didn't have uh, anything there. So that's a success. Clean uh, fall off of the balls. Um, the other fella still has his little uh, shrunken, shriveled up. Uh, he's got his sack there. So uh, keep you posted on that if you're interested. So yeah, so that's kind of what's going on. Uh, I've been organized, you know, because it's so hot, like I had kind of touched on the previous episode. I've been working uh, inside a lot, cleaning up closets. I organized my whole, uh, uh, don't judge, but I guess it'll be straight up, uh, my gun closet. I've got a few guns in there, lots of ammo. I uh, got it all organized and straightened out. Um, organized my clothing, donate a bunch of clothing to charity, whatever, um, and organize that closet, put away my winter clothes and, uh, boxes, and, uh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, installed these bookshelves, got all my books out of the boxes and up on the wall, which is great, looks good, uh, and it's much easier to, like, pick something to read. Um, so yeah, things are really getting along nicely in the house. Um, today, like I said, I got a new door installed because the previous one fell apart. So I have like a beautiful new door that was custom built. Um, yeah, the place is really moving along. I've got an electrician coming, uh, maybe next week or in the next couple weeks, installing all sorts of good stuff. Uh, a hookup for the generator to power the uh, panel so I could power the house in, in the event of a uh, uh, power cutoff. Um, I've got, uh, he's installing lights, so finally I'll have proper lighting. Um, just a lot of upgrades going on here, uh, which is great. Um, so yeah, so... To the point of the episode, and that of course took longer, I, I think I said a minute, uh, I think we took 10 minutes, if not longer on that, but it's all good, isn't it? So why am I here? Why did I want to do this? What goes on in a person's life? <laughs> I'm realizing more and more that this is not... I mean, I kind of knew this, but this is not, this is like drastically strange, drastically, uh, a drastic departure from what the rest of my people, my friends and people that I know, I don't know anyone doing shit like this. Maybe a couple people doing kind of cool things similar, but what drives someone to do something like this and why? This is going to be a tough one for me to address. childhood and 
awakening and my experiences and my discontent. It's a big one. And my idealism, idealistic tendencies and my lashing out and all these things. But the reality is I came out here right after Thanksgiving and my goal then was I had free time. I'm going to spend a month at the cabin. I've been wanting to do it forever. I'm tired of doing the week-long, the weekends, the week-long. You know, I think I did two weeks at one point before is the longest I'd done. I'm going to do a long stay. You know, it's Thanksgiving. I celebrate with the family. I'm out of here. So I did that. And I said, man, I love this. And I barely got started on all the stuff that I need to do up here to make this place better and uh, feel fulfilled. And and, uh, I was just so excited by all of the stuff up here. I said, screw it, you know, screw that. I'm going to stay here. It was a radical thing to do. Radically, I mean, it wasn't though. Like, it seems radical when I think about it through other people's eyes. But for me, it was like it made all the sense in the world. How could I not do this? I have a fucking cabin up here. That's dope. That is just sitting there. And I have the time. Why would I not? And I guess the answer is if I were to follow that line of thought through. The answers are you're alone. Aren't you worried being out in the woods alone? Uh, Don't you need to socialize? You're cut off from the world. Um, you know, uh, whatever. And how do I address that? Like, I'm clearly someone who thrives doing my own thing. Like, I don't fucking care what people think. In fact, when I start caring about what people think, I start getting depressed, dragged down, unhappy, whatever. When I'm happiest, I find, is when I have faith in what I'm doing and just follow it and I'm driven and I have goals set and I'm like, all right, this is what I'm doing. And I, when I say I have faith, I've, I don't know if always, but in my adult life, I've been lucky enough in my luckiest times I've had this feeling that I followed of being sure deep, deep inside knowing that what I'm doing is what I'm supposed to be doing. And during my worst times, those times were marked by the feeling of, man, I'm not, I have no idea what, this is like post-college life, right? Like everyone kind of encounters this, like, what do I do now? 
but it's like the feeling of like, man, I don't feel right. Like this doesn't feel, I don't have the confidence to be like, yeah, yeah, like this is it. This is my life. This is what I'm doing. Finally, the, well, I shouldn't say finally because it became clear to me through the times that I came up here sporadically that it was like, man, like this all feels right. It all feels good. It feels like fate is playing its hand. That how did this even happen? Like in college, I wanted this kind of life. Like I wanted to go back to the land kind of thing, like in an idealistic way. And I probably never would have if this property didn't come into my life serendipitously, which it did. Just out of nowhere, really. Like, it's not something that, if you know my family, like, we're not people that have rural land. <laughs> Far from it. Um, so, the whole thing has always felt super driven by fate and just kind of meant to be and I've honored that and followed it and put my heart behind it and and followed it passionately without looking back if that's weird I don't really give a shit if I'm the goat guy you know I I kind of gather from friends that people are talking like yo did you know did he really sleep in a tent with goats you know I mean that's yeah, I did, and that's hilarious. It's hilarious that you're asking, and it was hilarious to do. So hope you're laughing with me. If you're laughing at me, you're a loser, bro. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got goats. What do you have? A job? Um, fucking, uh, gosh, I'm not going to start shitting on people. I hope you all are happy and alive and well. Um... I feel like I am. I'm super alive. I'm super well. I feel fucking cut. You know, my muscles are tight. I was getting fat, man. I was getting weak. I have aches and shit. My body, you know, I'm not a gym guy. I'm not a workout guy. I'm a stubborn dude, you know, whether it's Taurus or not. I wouldn't, I refuse to work out. My, I would always tell people, and it wasn't laziness. Well, maybe partly. I just didn't like it. Like, I'm not lazy. Out here, I'll work all day. And I won't even think twice about it. I just didn't like gyms. And I would always tell people, like, well, your body should reflect the life that you live. If, if you live a sedentary uh, city life, you shouldn't uh, hide it by going to gyms. And, like, it's weird for people to have office jobs and also be, like, fucking jacked and fit. Like, it's... It's not natural to me. And, I mean, obviously working out is better than my ideal, but that's how I would think. And uh, for me out here, like, I'm getting back in shape because I'm working with my body. I'm moving all day. I'm outside breathing fresh air, et cetera, et cetera. So it's good. I should, you know, <clears throat> it's funny that I introduced this character in my life in this way in an unplanned manner I was going to say I should go for the jugular and I will in a second <clears throat> but in thinking to say that I thought about a, a teacher of mine probably the greatest teacher in my life 
uh, aside from my parents. Um, but the greatest teacher in my life uh, was a fellow named Dr. Bernard McGrain, uh, who another kind of serendipitous kind of thing in college, I took one of his classes and he taught sociology and the class was called uh, Self and Society and there was some sort of subtitle to it. I mean, it was radical, like Zen awareness, social experiments kind of thing uh, that shook up my whole understanding of the world that coupled with a lot of heady psychedelics and just, yeah, smoking tons of pot. Yeah, being in California, like, I just really came alive in college. I felt like that's kind of when my consciousness really developed. And a lot of it had to do with this uh, teacher I had. <clears throat> anyway, a core element of his teaching style was these writing exercises um, where he would stop you know, he would have the class, uh, he would teach this method that drew on this book called Writing Down the Bones by, I want to say, like, Natalie Goldman, maybe? And he would read the rules uh, to this writing thing, which was basically just, like, free writing. Don't think. Write what's on your mind. Write uh, just whatever. Don't correct yourself. Don't erase. Just keep basically that. And one of the lines he would always mention is, go for the jugular. In other words, if something is, uh, you know, if, if, if you want to hesitate from saying it, it probably has power, so go for it. You know, the line is something like that. So in laying out my goals here, I might as well not be candid and go for it. <coughs> A big driving factor of me being out here is me being concerned for my life, for my life in in the city, for my family going forward. Um, I didn't feel comfortable living in the city. I just, I, you know, times being as they are, you really have to numb yourself in order to live in a city like that that being Miami or anywhere, um, you have to numb yourself in order to do it. You have to take certain things uh, for granted, I guess. If <laughs> You have to be able to go into a crowded room and say, yeah, everything's going to be fine, knowing that there's a good chance, maybe not a good chance, but there is a chance that everything won't be fine. <clears throat> And that if you need to flee, maybe you can't. Okay? And however you want to call it, <coughs> uh, on the bright side, maybe... Excuse me. On the bright side, maybe it's awareness. On the not bright side, maybe it's paranoia. But if you're aware you're going to be nervous in situations like that and you're not going to feel comfortable. And, you know, what I'm getting at is I've become quite a prepper, quote-unquote, survivalist kind of minded 
type person. And it started innocuously. <clears throat> it started with me just wanting to learn how to do things, how to be more useful. Even forget the city thing, forget living and being paranoid of shit going down and not being able to get out, not being able to, to defend myself. Like, aside from that, I just wanted to learn how to fucking pickle vegetables because that's cool and, and I save money and I'm healthier. But all the things I started learning, I realized, were also really useful for self-reliance, uh, for survival, um, <clears throat> older kind of using older technology uh, as opposed to the more convenient um, contemporary methods of food storage and whatever. I think you get my point. So, yeah, I think cities are a nightmare, and I think we all know it. It's just a matter of, are you willing to play those odds? Are you comfortable doing that? I'm not. And it was really hard being someone whose entire life is in the city and his entire family, everyone I know is a city dweller to say, fuck it, I'm doing what I need to do and what I think is the sane thing to do. And I would often think to myself, like, man, like, well, here we go, I'm turning another stone. I would think, man, like, previous generations did what they had to do. And they had to do some pretty gnarly things. Um, on my dad's side, my both of my grandparents are Holocaust survivors. Um, they went through the Auschwitz uh, death camps <clears throat> and had their entire families killed. And so I kind of have had this burden, I feel. It's a welcome burden because it's also cool to have this opportunity. But I see my dad as the first generation kind of American, first generation born in America, starting over. Our culture was stripped from us. I don't know what sort of bedtime stories were told to Joseph Olegwa's two generations back. We don't know our songs or anything. You know, it's starting over. It's probably something I'll get into in another episode because there's a lot that I want to discuss about Judaism, specifically the type that I've inherited and how that relates to American identity. I've been thinking about it a lot and I think it's fascinating. And that's for another episode. But the point I'm getting at is I got to look out for my family going forward previous generations did it and I'm gonna do it and they had to do radical shit if, if it if me going out into the woods and leaving city life behind so to speak although that's not really what I'm doing I'm still reliant on the city you know and everything but yeah, for, for the purpose of the example let's go with that if that's what I need to be doing that's simple and that's playing on easy mode compared to 
surviving death camps and moving to a new country and getting started again. Um, and just a note on that, like, hopefully everything is great and shit doesn't go down in the cities and the cities are great and they keep growing and progressing and they get cleaner and better and more efficient. I love cities that work. I love the world. I want it to work. I love commerce, convenience. I love it all. But I also want to plan for if it doesn't work out. And I think that's a pretty sane way to be. Call me paranoid, whatever. Um, That's kind of how I think. I'd rather be out in the woods having fun and learning a bunch of shit, how to take care of myself and others, than get caught with my pants down and stuck uh, foodless, waterless, with crazy people running around. So, yeah. Goals. (laughs) I guess that does lead into my goals. Uh, To become somewhat self-sufficient is a tough word because I'll never be self-sufficient entirely but to offset some of what I consume from stores with things that I produce so the past few months I've been learning I've been eating from the city all day from the markets and everything so I'm still living that life dependent on on commerce but Rome wasn't built in a day. I'm learning how to care for these animals, which in the future, when I decide to go fully in, and I guess getting 45 birds coming in is a pretty big deal, but when I get five more goats or 10 more goats, a bunch more chickens, a couple cows, you know, et cetera, et cetera, I'm I'm leading to that. I want to be able to provide food for myself and people around me to a degree. Um, water. I, 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 I want to live a sane life where I have the things that I need that I can get them through my own power. And having a well is great. Having a spring-fed lake is great. I've got wild... Forget my animals. I've got wild animals running about. I could take some of those out, and I do. That'll be another episode talking about hunting, I think going on a big hunt in December, so maybe leading up to that. Um, so yeah, that's, some of, that's, that's one side of the goals to being out here, to become somewhat more responsible in providing myself with what I consume. And I'm heading towards achieving that. It's going to be a process constantly, but I'm I'm definitely making making uh, inroads towards that. I also um, have a business. I that could I see that becoming a small business. Um, I could I have to. Fi- I've been thinking about this quite a bit lately. Um, it could work in a couple ways. I can provide. Meat. I think I'm a meat guy, to be honest, because I, I feel like everyone, there's more people that's doing, that are doing, you know, organic vegetables and herbs and things, and that's awesome. 
but how often do you see people doing like organic or pasture raised wild raised, you know forest raised meat you know ethically minded heart you know happy meat you know these animals are freaking thrilled to be out here and i feel like there's probably for good reason there's not so many people doing that and i would just guess that part of it is because a lot of people that are into the kind of uh new food movements aren't too keen on slaughtering animals and i'm not entirely keen i'm not like super down with slaughtering animals it sucks but i can do it and maybe that's a strength of mine as far as business goes so yeah so that's something um i was the term, I think I dropped this in conversation. Maybe I was stoned or something, which I, I don't often smoke anymore. Uh, so don't judge me. But I think I was stoned and someone was talking to me. I was saying like, yeah, I could become the lamb chop king of Miami. Um, this is all ego stuff, right? I don't actually want to become that, but it was funny in the moment. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, like forest race. I don't think anyone, I haven't, not that I did a Google search, but I think it'd be cool to have like to say like forest, I mean, they are forest raised, these animals. I'm in the national forest. They're eating plants and bugs and things that are in the forest. You know, the, these are wild. These are domesticated animals in a wild environment. So it's pretty cool. I think it's kind of unique. Um, but yeah, to bring meat like that to market or to friends, to restaurants, whatever, I think would be cool. If it can fund the process of doing it at least that would be great so yeah so that's a goal um creatively when i first came up here like creatively that's kind of how i saw it like okay so i wanted to do a month and i wanted to i had this like stone i had to pass inside me like i had been stifled living in a condo for so many years where I could not wail on my guitar. I could not, I mean, I still did a lot of times, got noise complaints, but I felt creatively stifled. So I wanted to come up here and record music, which I've done and I'm still doing. And I feel much more fulfilled and th I'm thinking much clearer because of that, I'm out here recording and making music. Not every day, not every week, but, you know, that's the creative process. When it comes, it comes. And, man, it's like clearing a blockage. Like, I'm just breathing better, so to speak. So that was one of my goals. You know, I've set up this studio here, and, yeah, I'm using it mostly for recording this podcast now. But I'm also using it here and there for recording songs that I've written. And... It's, I'm achieving that goal every day, actually. It's pretty cool. Um, I actually recorded, uh, we had a guest up here, uh, my friend Emmett Moore, um, introduced me to this fella, Jim Flood, and him and his wife, Tina, um, were showing, Jim is a very nautically minded, he's a nautical aficionado, he's in love with the sea, and kind of 19th century kind of, I guess, Victorian dress and those times and the Royal Navy, et cetera, et cetera. 
he built this boat, really wacky handmade boat called the Duchess. Um, that's just amazing. And he was showing it at an antique boat show up here. So <clears throat> I invited him to stay. And instead of staying, he ended up just joining. We, we had dinner. Tina cooked a wonderful dinner. And James immediately set up his piano, which he brought up from Miami, Delray. And just started going through his repertoire of songs. And I hustled to set up a couple mics and record that. And it's not the cleanest recording ever. Uh, as we were all drinking and tired and sweaty and whatever. But it's recorded. And I'll probably share that. Maybe I'll share a song right now. Or maybe not. Um, but anyway, so I, I guess what I'm getting at with that is it is a goal of mine to have other artists come up here and to produce their some sort of recording of them being up here. Ah, reminds me of another creatively minded goal um you know because this cabin came into my life because of the charity of my grandfather because of his goodwill and passing his gifts forward i felt it would be too selfish for me to just enjoy it to myself and that i would do him the honor and do his uh, do honor, uh, you know, to honor his um, sense of charity. His, he was an amazingly charitable person, and I want to pass that on myself. So in February, I hosted uh, a friend of mine named Brian Deutzman, Deutzman um, who's a Miami filmmaker and artist. And... He used to come to my gutter film screenings. He and I kind of became friends through that. And I kind of offered him to come up. I told him I wanted to do an artist retreat up here. And yeah, he ended up coming up, staying for almost a month. I think it was like three and a half weeks. And I mean, man, he's got to come on here um, and talk about that. But I think it was a positive experience for him. I'm almost certain it was. Uh, he helped me a lot think the concept through of having a retreat like that, how I would want to do it, what it would be like, would it be safe, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd say he was the perfect test subject, uh, subject zero, uh, success. Brian, thank you, man. Um, Brian's making a film now which is tentatively, I don't know if it's temporarily entitled Un Hombre Sincero. And it was filmed in Havana, Cuba. And it's really cool. And he asked me, we were here one night towards the end of his stay. And we were playing a cut on the screen. And he asked me to just play some guitar over it. And it just kind of worked out. It was a good sound. And he asked me to record some music for the film. And I have a few things recorded that are not polished. I have the concept in my head now. It's developed and solidified in my head. I know exactly what I want it to be. I just need to sit down one day and really lay down clean versions of these 
themes. I don't even call them songs. They're more themes for the film. So that's cool. Uh, scoring that film. Hopefully you all go out and see it when there's a time to see it and hear it. So yeah, so I would like to do an artist retreat here. <coughs> but I've settled through Brian being here and, and he was out here alone for a week or whatever, a week and a half maybe. It's not going to work if I'm staying here full time to have someone else staying here. It's just too much a burden on me. We're stepping on each other's toes. Not that that happened with Brian, but it, I could see how it would happen with someone who I wasn't, if I didn't gel with that person as smoothly, it wouldn't work out. So that's a future project for when I move on. Um, let's hope, knocking on wood, there's plenty of wood around here. Um, <clears throat> I do hope that I move on. I'm not trying to be in a log cabin forever. I'm not trying to live in isolation forever. Um, so, yeah, I guess more on that in future episodes, but there would need to be at least another guest house or something here or a trailer or whatever in order for that to work out. So that's a future goal. Let's take a look at my list. I haven't even looked at my list. I think maybe next episode, because we're at the 45-minute mark here, I think maybe the next episode will be, maybe, it'll be Miami. I'll talk about my life in Miami, what it was like, and how it built to an unhealthy head of where I needed to remove myself. So yeah, here we are. We're almost as the longest episode to date, uh, but I think it was a pretty clear... I guess I had a lot of energy to get out. It's been a while since I've been in front of the mic, so I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Um, I will probably... Oh, I have guests coming this weekend. My buddy Jonathan my buddy Greg are coming up this weekend, going to help me. I had a tree, a giant tree fall in the yard, so I'll probably put them on cutting up that tree and stacking some firewood for next winter. Um, I'm going to put them to work. I'm going to drink a lot of beer and eat steak and shit. It's going to be good. Maybe I'll interview one of them or both. If not, I'll be back next week with a new episode. i got a lot to talk about. And I will do my best to get it at you uh, sooner than I did this one. I hope you guys are all alive, happy, and well. Wish your mothers happy Mother's Day. If this gets out by then... Um, thanks for listening, and I will see you next time. And while we're on that note of Mother's Day, I might as well wish my mother the happiest of happiest Mother's Days. Uh, my mom, Marla, is the best. I mean, when I lost my birds a few weeks back, I was torn up, and that day she flew up to be with me, helped me out big time, brought my spirits back up, shared the, the grieving process with me, and that's just who she is. She'll, she puts herself 
in harm's way for us kids of hers. And I love her so, so much. She's a huge, huge part of who I am and, and what I am. And mom, I love you very much. I know you're listening. And I'm sorry I can't be with you today, but I kind of am with the podcast. So for those of you wondering, this absolutely killer song is, it's a song called Ashokan Farewell, which is from some sort of miniseries or something about the Civil War, but I found it on this um, kind of rare CD of Al Casey's guitar music, and Al Casey, you don't know who he is, you should look him up. Um, how good is this version? I'm just going to leave you to enjoy it, but I figure I should let you know what it is. And we're going to let this play out. Do I, am I breaking my 30 minute rule? You bet. Is it worth it? You bet. 